amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Romans 13, 11. He says, do this, knowing the time that it's already near for the hour to awaken from sleep is now. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Let us therefore lay aside deeds of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us behave as in the day, not as in the night with carousings and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity, not in sensuality, not in strife, not in jealousy, but instead put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, make no provisions for the flesh in regard to its lusts. It's ironic to me. He could have been writing this about today. He was saying this back thousands of years ago that the time is already near. And the time to live after the flesh, literally we've had enough time to do all the stuff in the flesh, all the carousings and the sensual stuff. He says, don't even give it the opportunity, the flesh. It's time to live in the spirit. Now in another place, Paul writes, if you walk by the spirit, you overcome the deeds of the flesh. And man, there's sometimes those deeds of the flesh that we do, those sensual things and the promiscuity, the lying, the cheating, those things come back to haunt us. And so Paul's trying to show these guys a better way, how to live after the Spirit. And he says, you, you have to literally make no provision for the flesh. You've got to just go, I'm not going to make that the uh, focus of my day. I'm going to make the focus of my day walking after the Lord. Now, chapter 14, he goes into one of the stumblings that happens, and I don't know why, but a lot of the cults, the false religions, make a great emphasis about what we do on the outside, what people can see, what we eat, what we drink, how we dress. I was part of one church that, man, if you didn't wear a white shirt and a tie and a suit jacket, then you weren't even holy enough to come in. Because only holy people could come in their church, and only holy people, of course, wore a full suit. And I read the scripture, and I never see anywhere where Jesus wore a suit. And I never see anywhere where Jesus made an issue about what you dressed in. He was always talking about the inside, the heart. He never got on to people about the clothing on the outside. He was the one that was the great physician that dealt with the issues on the inside, what was in the heart. In fact, he chastised the religious guys. He said, you guys, you're like whitewashed tombs, whitewashed sepulchers. That's a nice compliment, isn't it? A sepulcher, that's like one of them stone things where they put the dead bones of the person in there and seal it up. And they paint white on the outside. This is a tomb. He said, but that's how these religious leaders were to Jesus. He said, you're on the outside, you're all pretty and white, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Death inside. And so Paul had to deal with this. And by the way, he doesn't just have to deal with this at the church at Rome. When you read the book of Corinthians, the next letters in the Bible that follow the book of Romans, you got first and second Corinthians, he's got to write both times about this issue. Then he has to write to the church at Galatia some more things about this. Not walking by the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. And one of the most fleshly things that for some reason the cults do is make an issue of, well, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. Well, do you eat meat? Are you vegan? Are you vegetarian? Does this somehow make me more approved by God what I eat or what I don't eat? Look at what Paul says here. Chapter 14. 
It says, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he could eat all things. Well, he who's weak, it says, eats vegetables only. Now, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. So if you're a person who has faith to eat meat and all sorts of stuff, and you meet a vegetarian, are you supposed to diss them because they're, oh, you stupid, weak faith person? You're supposed to pass judgment, right? No. Jesus said, don't judge anybody. Judge not lest you be judged, it says in Matthew 7. And this is what Paul goes on to say. He says here, the person who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, verse 3. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who does eat. For God has accepted them both. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. You know, to God, it doesn't matter if they eat vegetables or meat, it's the Lord that makes us able to stand in this life. And that's where our strength comes from, right? It's from the Lord. Now he says, one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person needs to be fully convinced in his own mind. Now he who observes the day, well, he observes it for the Lord. And he who eats, he does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. He who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. Notice they're both giving thanks to God, whether they eat or they don't eat, or whether they worship on one day of the week or another day. There's a whole sect that they only worship on a certain day of the week. And if you don't worship on their day, you're taking the mark of the beast. You're terrible. I looked it up in Greek and in Hebrew. It says the word is to cease striving. In other words, quit trying to make it happen in your own strength. It says let it go. Do you know that you need a whole day of letting it go just to reset, right? Some people, they don't believe me. I say, go ahead, do it for three weeks in a row, not a day off. Just keep it up. You're going to crash. Four weeks? Oh, you've gone on a month without a day of rest. Just watch. You're going to get sick and you'll be five days in bed, a week in bed. You know, every time we think we can outsmart God, our creator says, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. It's in the Ten Commandments. Why should we remember to take a day of rest and honor God? Because God made us and he knows, buddy, you can't do it without taking a day of rest. Now, I'm only saying this from personal experience. I have tried to go without a day of rest or to go without times of refreshment. Good Jews, they would, every single Sabbath, they take no work. It's a day off. And every holy day, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Passover, the Tabernacles, all of their feasts, Yom Kippur, they take whole weeks off at a time. No work. If you're a good Jew, I've shared this before, if you really follow the Jewish tradition, do you know that you take one-third of your year off? One-third. You, know, you get 52 Sabbaths, plus the Holy Weeks, you put it all together, they only work two-thirds of the year. And some people think God's uptight. How would you like it if you went to your job interview and the boss says, well, listen, I'd like to hire you. I'm going to pay you a full year's salary, but you're only allowed to work for two-thirds of the year. What would you think of that boss if they really did that? Would you be going, sign me up, man. Where'd you get that guy? <laughs> you got the best boss in the world. Well, that's my boss. I'm working Sunday. So what day do I rest? I take Monday. Now, this verse right here says, one man regards one day above another, another man regards every day alike. But let each one... 
be fully convinced in his own mind. On the Sabbath, you're supposed to take your cares and give them to the Lord and say, Lord, you take care of it. You take care of me. I'm not going to make it happen for me. I'm going to let you be my God, my provider. Jehovah Jireh, says in the Hebrew. God, my provider. You take care of me. Now, God promises if you honor him, he'll take care of you. I know we wrestle with this in our culture because we're just workaholics. Jesus said it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. When we think day off, sometimes we think of it all about ourselves. That's my day off, man. Don't bother me. I'm going to just vegetable out. I'll turn on the television. To the Pharisees, they were testing Jesus. It's a Sabbath. You're not allowed to do any work. Do you know that they put a guy with a withered hand in the front row in the temple and they called on Jesus? Would you like to do the reading of the scripture? And they knew it was a test. They were going to make Jesus walk past the guy in the front seat. And they're like, he can't leave it alone because he's so compassionate. You know Jesus, right? What's he going to do? The guy's got his hand all withered up and he's right there in the front. And here's Jesus coming up to read. And so Jesus stops and he says to the fellow, he says, stretch forth your hand. Now this guy had a withered hand from birth. Just think of someone that was born with their hand just swollen, withered up, and their whole life they've had this. If they could stretch forth their hand, they would have done it already. So Jesus is really telling the guy to do something impossible. But oh, guess what day of the week this is? I forgot to mention. It was a Sabbath. So... The guy stretches forth his hand and he's healed right in the service. Now, if that happened for us, someone came, they're in a wheelchair, they never walked or their arm was withered up and the Lord just touched them in our service. Will we say, oh, that's terrible. You shouldn't do that at our church at this time. This is the Sabbath. Don't do that on the Sabbath. That's working. But they actually wanted to kick Jesus out because they said he was working. I mean, how much work was it anyway? Stretch forth thine hand. In English, it's only four words. That was work? But they viewed it as work. And they said, you could come any other day of the week and do this, but you shouldn't be doing it on this day. But they set it up to try to trap him. And their mind was not correct. Because Jesus said, have you not read the law? If an ox falls into a well on a Sabbath... But ox are not small. If an ox fell into a well, it says you are allowed to pull the ox from the well on the Sabbath day. That's going to be a fun job. Like pulling a car out of a ditch. Worse, it's alive, kicking. You're going to pull an ox out of a well, and that's allowed. But you can't say, stretch forth your hand. Somebody's not correct in the mind. And Jesus told them, you lost the picture. It is lawful to do well on the Sabbath. It might even require work. I might be on my day off and driving and someone's broke down and the Holy Spirit says, stop and help them. And it might take a lot of work to help them. But is it a lawful thing to do good on the Sabbath? Yes. Always remember that. The spirit of the law is what we're focusing on, not the letter. Because by the letter of the law, many good Christians have been stomped down instead of raised up. Let me show you what Paul goes on to say. 
He says both guys, whether they eat or they drink or they don't eat, they don't drink, whatever day they observe, they do it for the Lord. So they give thanks to God either way. Verse 7 says, for not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we're the Lord's. Let's get the focus here. Are we the Lord's or not? And then he says, for to this end, Christ died. And he lived again that he might be both the Lord of both the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? It says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Just as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess. They'll give praise to God. This is Isaiah 46, by the way, around verse 22, 23 there. Isaiah said this, every knee is going to bow to God. Why are you judging? It's God we have to stand before. In verse 12, he says, So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. An account of yourself, not your spouse, not your boss, not the person you're judging. You only get to give an account of you before God. We're going to stand before the Lord. Therefore, now Paul is great at, because this is true, we all have to stand before our maker. And we're only going to stand there and I'm not going to be able to go, but God, didn't you see what Barnabas did? And he did that. Is that going to fly? I'm only pointing this out because I don't know if it's just a sibling thing, but whenever one sibling gets in trouble, but mom, what about, right? What about the other one? And she did this and, you know, get your sister in trouble. Get your brother in trouble. By the way, God is our father, but sometimes we pull the same little maneuver we do down here on earth with our earthly parents with our heavenly one. Oh, but God, what about them? And God's going, what about you? This is the part where it's a personal relationship between us and our maker. And we're too busy trying to skirt out of the spot we're supposed to stay in. Us to him, direct, not, what about them? Forget judging them. This is what Paul's saying. God is the one who will judge. And by the way, I I do need to point this out. It says, so that each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, to put no obstacle, no stumbling block in a brother's way. Let's make this our determination to not stumble. You know, it really stumbles people when you judge them. I don't know if you realize it, but if you're a really critical person and you're always judging people, it stumbles people. To be honest, I don't think you're very fun to be around. Anyone like those kind of people that are always judging you? They they judge you about everything. You part your hair on the wrong side. They don't part my hair. Well, yeah, but your hair's too short. It's too long. You're dressed funny. I'm going to pull my hair out with these people. But see, Paul is saying, when you judge other people, you're stumbling them. You're putting a stumbling block in their lives. And he says, let's determine. This takes determination, by the way. How about if I got everyone here for just this week? Because I know some of you, if I said do this forever, you'd be like, I can't do it. So let's just start off baby steps. One week, this week, you determine with me that we don't judge anybody. We leave judgment in the hands of the only qualified person to judge, God. Let him be the judge. Let him do his job. 
And we determine not to stumble our brothers. We're not here to judge one another. Have you ever had someone in your life that loved you unconditionally? My grandmother. My grandmother loved us with this unconditional love. We just felt love didn't matter. You know, we did something wrong. We broke the plate. We did whatever. And she loved us anyway. There was no condition for her love. Any one of you have someone like that in your life? How do you feel when you're around those people? Happy, right? You feel like you can be yourself. It's freeing, like a weight off your shoulders. You're like, I don't have to act all perfect. I don't have to do everything. When you have someone who loves you unconditionally, they don't judge you. And they recognize we're all works in progress. They're like a pleasure to be around. Something about when you're around those kind of people, you're just like, ah, I can breathe. It's like a breath of fresh air. Because if you're ever around the ones that are always judging you, always pointing the finger, always picking, pick, 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 they wear you out. They just like suck you dry. I call them psychic vampires. And they come around just like, whoa. It's just a drain. So would you do this with me for one week? Let's determine not to stumble anyone. And the way we do that is we don't judge anyone. We don't worry about being the judge. We have to remember Who's the judge? Who are we going to stand before and give an account? God. So for one week, let's let God, will determine God is God, only one qualified to judge anyway, and let's let him do the judging, and let's do what the scripture says, mercy resists judgment. Or another translation says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's just show mercy to people this week. Mercy is, by the way, it's not something you earn. It's something you get because of the giver of it. You just go, look, man, we're all works in progress. It's okay. Let's just keep going. You might find that the people this week around you might be more happy to see you when you come. Because if you are a judgmental soul, and I hate to tell you this, but they're out there, and how they infiltrate the church, I don't know, but they sure do. And they show up, and they start judging everyone, well, that guy, he didn't dress properly. And that guy over there, he wasn't. Look, guys, there's a church on the beach. I've shared this before, but I got to tell you, Jesus took this very serious. He said, if you stumble even a little one, he says, it's better that you get this piece of jewelry called a millstone necklace. The millstone is that big 6,000 to 10,000 pound stone. Tie it around your neck and then go swimming in the deepest trench of the sea. And the feeling of that millstone dragging you to the depths of the ocean is better for you than if you stumble the least of my brethren, even a little child. Now, if you ask me, Jesus took this very seriously. By the way, do you know that millstone story is in three of the Gospels? I mean, this is so important that three of the Gospel writers put it in their Gospels to tell us, make sure you don't stumble your brother. Because Jesus takes it very serious. He says, it's better for you to make a millstone necklace. Now, if you want to know what this is, this is in Matthew 18, verse 6. Mark tells us it in chapter 9, verse 42. And Luke tells us it in Luke 17, verse 2. But all three of those Gospels tell us the account of Jesus saying, don't stumble your brother. Don't do it. Now, if it's that important that he would say that, 
Should I determine for a week to not stumble anyone? To not be the judge? I mean, because this is how you stumble them. You judge them. But why do we feel so compelled to do it for God? Like, he needs help? What, he's not big enough to do his job? He doesn't know how to judge rightly and perfectly? The Bible tells us God does this perfectly. And God does it, thankfully, with grace and with mercy. Because if he didn't, man, we'd be toast. If it wasn't for the grace of God, how would we make it? But this is the accountability doctrine that is not very popular to teach in American culture. The American culture wants me to teach, get an accountability partner to help you in your Christian journey. Brother, I'm going to be accountable to you. You be accountable to me. We'll keep each other in line. That's such a bunch of hogwash. Because I can always put on a good face when you come around. How are you doing today? Oh, great, brother. Thanks for asking. How about you? I'll spin it real quick. I could be doing terrible. I don't tell you. See, but can I spin to God that lie? No. And so the accountability doctrine to men has caused great fall in the body of Christ. It sounds really ear tickling. It sounds really good. But I just can't find any verse that says we're accountable to one another like this. I can see where it says to encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I could make a case for encouragement partners. Anyone want an encouragement partner? That I could get behind. But that I'm accountable to you is a scary, scary perversion of the Scripture. Because really the one I have to give an answer to. I'm not worried about men. What does it say? Who do I stand before on Judgment Day? God. If I teach the young ones... You're going to have to give an answer to God for everything you do. Not for what everyone else does, for what you do. That's a healthy thing for us to know. How many of you grew up being taught that? I don't know why, but a couple decades ago, this was common knowledge. That we all would stand before God one day. I mean, it wasn't like a mystery. But for some reason, over the last couple decades, I don't know if it was the whole get the Bible out of school thing and get rid of God in the school. We have a whole generation that didn't come up with this knowledge that you're going to someday have to answer to God. And because of it, they flail. They don't know, like, well, who makes the morals? What kind of rules are they? I mean, how do I know? And I don't even know if there is anyone we're going to answer to. It makes my heart sink because when you know you're going to answer to God for everything you do, Does it shape how you behave? Sure. Does it shape your character? Of course. And if I spin it that you got to answer to a man, every time I looked at authorities that I was supposed to answer to, yeah, I could straighten up and march straight when they were around, but it's kind of like doing the job when the boss is in there, but when the boss leaves, you throw the broom down, fool around, talk story, because he's gone, right? When it comes to being accountable to men, we got it down to an art form. We see the boss coming, pick up the room. Oh, look busy. Hey, boss, been working really hard. Glad you're back. He left, we were over in that corner, and we moved about two feet. But when it comes to being accountable to men, it's a short sale. It keeps you from really living truthfully. Because you can fudge. But you can't fudge with God. 
He cannot. He's always on the job. He always sees everything. So let's make it where we do this week, where we say, you know what? I'm going to determine this, not to put a stumbling block in front of my brother. I'm not going to be their judge. In fact, if they come to you with a problem, the best thing you can say is, listen, we're all works in progress. Just keep seeking the Lord. Keep pressing on. Keep up the good fight. Just hang in there. How would you feel if someone actually said that to you? Your coworker, your boss, just don't worry about it. Just hang in there. I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to encourage you. Like the scriptures, Hebrews 3.13, by the way, is that verse. Encourage one another day after day. As long as it is still called today. Do you guys remember when Joshua was going to lead the children of Israel in Joshua chapter 1 and 2? The Lord had to speak to Joshua. He was taking over for Moses. Big shoes to fill when you follow Moses. And the Lord had to send an angel to Joshua and say to him, Joshua, do not be afraid. Only be strong, he says, and be of good courage. The Lord is with you. That's a word we need. Now, if you need that word, could you just add this to the list this week? Don't judge others. Tell them. Be strong. Encourage them. The Lord is with you. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.